You're listening to The Real Word Podcast, produced by Reading Opens Minds. I'm Lauren, and in this episode, we're talking about the book, The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. The Ocean at the End of the Lane was published in 2013 by HarperCollins. Gaiman himself has said he wasn't sure, as he was writing it, whether it would be an adult novel, his first in a while, or a novel for young adult readers. Reviewers have come down on both sides, with The Guardian reviewer noting that, quote, when I thought about it, I realized that I'm an adult reading self and also a child reader, and that it was my childhood self who settled into this story, end quote. When I began to read the book, it reminded me of the film Pan's Labyrinth by Mexican filmmaker Guillermo del Toro, where the real world of a child is intermingled with a magical one in order to make some sense of the darkness around them. First, we talk about the absence of the narrator's name. So, quickly, I just want to talk about the fact that we didn't, Leslie just brought up a good point, that the narrator doesn't have a name. How did... I just realized that. Right? So, okay, so that's my question. Did you notice that? Yes. I noticed. You noticed? You noticed? I think they said it was. I noticed, and I thought that was strange. No, I don't think it's a good or bad thing. I think it's just interesting, right? Like, why wouldn't why wouldn't he give him a name? He just wanted to be oh, artsy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, Neil. <Yeah. laughs> but seriously, is there any other reason besides being artsy that he wouldn't reveal his... Anonymity? I don't know. Yeah? To be, to be less yeah, connected to him. Anonymity? Well, that's what Christian said. Anonymity, less connected. Okay. Oh, but I mean, you still feel connected to the narrator. You're still following along with the story. So the, I mean, the name was really irrelevant. That's true. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it wasn't important to you? It wasn't important to me. Did it feel more like you were in the story because you didn't know his name? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think maybe the author didn't want us to focus that much on like the character and like who he was, but more like the phenomena, yeah, the experience and the, the events that were happening. Then we look at the quote the author chose to put on the first page of the book and what it seems to mean. If you're a parent, you may want to pay special attention to this. I remember my own childhood vividly. I knew terrible things, but I knew I mustn't let adults know I knew. It would scare them. Maurice Sendak, in conversation with Art Spiegelman, The New Yorker, September 27th, 1993. So what do you make of that quote? It has everything to do with the book. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Why? It's about his childhood. It's a very terrifying one. (laughs) And I wouldn't want to tell my adults about it either. (laughs) And the fact that he would get punished if, like, by Ursula, who threatened him. Like, if he told anyone. Mm -hmm. And even when he did try, he got punished for it. Like, when he tried to stand up, like, saying, like, I'm not going to eat her food because she's a monster, that's when the dad got really mad at him and um, attempted to drown him. So does that mean that the adults in this book are are ignorant of the truth? Yes. Yes. They don't want to know. They think they're living in ignorance for a reason because... They, if they yeah. knew the truth, they wouldn't even believe. They wouldn't want to believe it. Like what? What? What's one truth you are talking about? Like the um. So like Ursula Moncton, she was like one of the truth. Whatever the boy said, he didn't. Um, they didn't believe him. Like Emily was saying earlier. Yeah. Do you think you protect 
your adults from the real horrible truth? Yes. Yeah. Yes? That was a quick yes. Um, Do you? Yeah, I, I would say so because like sometimes we don't tell them things we don't want them to know because we know like we'd offend them in a way. So yeah, I think that's we we'd offend them and then and then like it it would divulge from what they've known for the whole life. So like superstitions would be an exact example of that. Um, like don't walk under a ladder. They don't want to they don't want to be told otherwise not to walk under a ladder because they think it's bad luck if you walk under a ladder. But we know better than that. What's the truth? That nothing happens. Just um, like it's not bad luck. It's not. It's not. But you don't want to hurt them. But yeah. Anybody else? Um, I also want to add that to like my parents, for example. I don't tell them everything because I don't want them to worry about everything that I do because some, I know some things will blow over. So if I told them everything, I feel like they would be panicked about me all the time. But when in reality, it's okay. Like things happen for a reason. But like, what's one thing that you could that you one example of something that it doesn't have to be you personally, but mm -hmm. like something that you wouldn't want to tell them to, that you would want to protect them from? Okay, so maybe for example, probably a common one would be grades. I feel like some kids hide their grades from their parents because they know that they can do better and they know that they will do better. Like, say for the, they, right now they have a C, for example. And then when the final comes around, they get a B or an A. The grade rises up drastically, right? Is that a word? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. And then, um, so they don't want their parents to know that right now because right now the, the parent would be pushing that child to go do their best right now, but they can... They know that it's going to get better, so they don't have to share with them right now. I don't know. That's me personally, because yeah. You can get your grade. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, are you saying that like parents will react to things in a really, like you yeah. said, in a drastic way? Yeah. But that teenagers, especially, not like super little kids, mm. but teenagers have the wherewithal to be like, you know what? I can see the long view of this. Mm -hmm. I can make up this work. Yeah. Like it's no stress. Mm -hmm. I feel like if. That's like for teenagers, but like how you said about the little kids. I feel like because they don't know that, that's why they're so open with their parents. Like I know for me, for example, when I was younger, I'd tell my mom everything. And then I saw that like that she would become worried. So then as I got older, I just um, kept more to myself so that she wouldn't be so worried about me all the time. She has a good point there about why when we're young, we're much more open and trusting with our parents. And then as we hit puberty and high school, communication can shut down and not necessarily for the reasons parents think. We talk a little more about children protecting their parents. And then another point of view is heard. Do I protect my, my mother? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say so, but in relation to the quote, I think, well, my interpretation of it is, um, you know, children, sometimes they know things that they shouldn't. And I think that means by, like, the way of, like, adults. I mean, like, kids should deal with kid things and adults should deal with adult things. And then just um, knowing maybe, because in the quote, it's like, I knew things that my parents didn't know, but if they did know, they'd be scared that I did. Do you want to protect your mom from the things that you know, that you know maybe prematurely, or that you know that's about the world that she may not have experienced? Uh, I don't think so. No? I don't know, it just, 
just seems, or that concept, it just seems alien to me. I don't know, me protecting my mother, I just, it doesn't seem possible to me. I don't because know she's out there ahead of you, sort of. Yeah, I don't know, it just doesn't seem, maybe it's just the way I was brought up or maybe my relationship with my mother, but it doesn't seem feasible. That you, as a child, could protect her? Yeah. Okay. I feel like parents lie to protect us. Yeah. More than we lie to protect them. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I think oh, yeah. we lie to protect ourselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that is different, isn't it? I mean, they. I think they think that they know what the world is, and then they negate us whenever we try to explain to them what your world is. What our world is like. Yeah. Even if we see like darker truth as well. Amen. What are you saying about this? <laughs> are you? What side of the fence are you on? Um, do you protect your parents, or do you feel that they protect you, and you're just um, trying to protect yourself? Uh, uh, when I was young, it'd probably be my mother protecting me from most of the world, but now as um, I grow older and I gain more knowledge than when she did when she had her time to do so, um, I feel like I keep some things from her as well. But in the beginning, I remember when she'd just be telling me, all these lies about the world, like, don't go out, don't do this, Taking don't do that. Room. Yeah. Go here, stay in the corner, hide, stay low, make sure nobody sees you. I knew all the drills. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, now, as I grow older and you begin to see the larger picture, and, you know, childhood begins to decompose before your very eyes, you get to, like... <laughs> you get to see why they've been hiding you from what they say like it's to protect you protect oh, yeah. you from what oh just from like the negative aspect of our world the negative views or things people do like i don't know <laughs> off the top of your head uh, murder, robbery, stuff like that. <laughs> oh, those are just that. But in a way, it's kind of ironic because our parents lie to us to protect us, but in reality, because they lie to us, it might end up hurting us because yeah. we don't know the real truth. So it, we just, I don't know, me personally, I went into you know, the world at a young age thinking like, oh, everybody's going to like me, everybody's going to be friendly, but then that's not the case at all. So it's, um, so it can... You can you go in with the false mentality of what the situation should look like, but because but but that's because it's been set up that way through lies from our parents to protect us. I see. Do you wish that they had prepared you for that in a different way? Yeah, I I wish they were a little. Well, now looking back, I wish they were um, more honest about how it would be because I know things would definitely be different if she would have just told me straight up how things would be or how things are yeah but then you wouldn't be the person you are today and true, you true, probably true. wouldn't understand yeah well <laughs> you probably wouldn't understand what the whole thing meant getting back to the book we talk about how memory becomes fabric there's also the part where it was um where she asked if he wanted to remember his father trying to jump her in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. He was like, she gave him like a piece of fabric and he was like, this is that memory. And if, and he was like, oh, can I keep it or do I burn it or whatever? She's like, do what you want with it. So when he threw it into the fire, he not only like burned like the tangible memory, erasing it, like making it basically that it didn't happen, but like he also, I guess, 
literally and figuratively like threw away the memory. Can you find that? Oh, what did you do to them? I asked, and then, is this really my toothbrush? That, said old Mrs. Hempstock, with satisfaction in her voice, was a very respectable job of snipping and stitching, if you ask me. She held up my dressing gown. I cannot see where she had removed a piece, nor where she had stitched it up. It was seamless, the mend invisible. She passed me a scrap of fabric on a table that she had cut. Here's your evening, she said. You can keep it if you wish, but if I were you, I'd burn it. The rain pattered against the window and the wind rattled the window frames. I picked up the jagged edged sliver of cloth. It was damp. I got up, wakened the kitten who sprang off my lap and vanished into the shadows. I walked over to the fireplace. If I burn this, I asked him, will it have really happened? Will my daddy have pushed me down into the bath? Will I forget it ever happened? Jenny, or Ginny, Hempstock, was no longer smiling. Now she looked concerned. What do you want, she asked. I want to remember, I said, because it happened to me, and I'm still me. I threw a little scrap of cloth onto the fire. There was a crackle, and the cloth smoked. Then it began to burn. I was under the water. I was holding onto my father's tie. I thought he was going to kill me. Oh, Mr. Gaiman, you are good. And then our new college counselor, Mercedes, chimes in. To me, I think the book was about him becoming an adult. And every time something bad happened, he created a imaginary excuse for why it happened. And then all of his problems were blamed on Ursula, and she's the reason his father attacked him, and she's the reason the person was um, committed suicide at the beginning of the book. So I think it was all him trying to protect himself from adulthood, and then the very end was when he lost his heart and kind of became an adult and accepted what the reality was. I kind of wish they would stick that way at the end, but then they kind of <laughs> went towards it all being real, but then I guess so, that could just be whether or not he are, wants Could to be. it have been, you're saying he created all the magic. I want it to be that way, that's what I want to take away with it, but I think that uh, Mr. Gaming left it open so you could have both interpretations. Whether the childhood is real and those memories are real, or whether the sad world of being the adult is really how it is. Because what happened was he wanted to create an excuse for why she was, um, you know, gone. She was there, or why Ursula was there, and why his father was having an affair. So he created this. Oh well, she's really a monster, and that's why. And then right. well, my favorite part of the entire book was when she, Ursula was being eaten by the hunger hunger birds. Oh, hunger birds. And he's like, "You did this. You're the one who made my father um, try to drown me." And she looks at him and she smiles. And her final words were, "I didn't make anybody do anything." Lastly, what would make a sacrifice worthwhile? Well, what about this? So we, we've judged the people in the book, but what about us? Like, think about if you've made sacrifices for yourself or you're going to, like, let's say you want to go away to college or, or if somebody has made sacrifices for you, like went without so you could do what you needed to do, what would be see yourself now 10 15 20 years in the future what kind of life would make those sacrifices worth it what kind of any aspect of your like what kind of life if you could predict well this would be worth it because i would be x or i'd be living this way would make all sacrifices worthwhile if you're full of mirth 
You're full of mirth 24-7. Yep. <laughs> if you're Do you know happy. anybody like that? No, I know, but <laughs> like, you're saying idealistic. Yeah, you're right, you're right. You called me out. Yes, ideally, if you're full of mirth. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Satisfaction. Satisfaction with your like life. Like with yourself and with your life. What you no, have. No tangible evidence, just like, are you a happy person? Yeah. Right. Anybody else want to throw me. some? <clears throat> me. Hi, me. Okay, I think what would make all your sacrifice worth it is if you are where you want to be. And if you aren't where you want to be, then at least have an idea of where you are trying to get and not be lost. I think that would make your sacrifices worth it because at the end of the day, if you're going to be making a bunch of sacrifices and not knowing where you're going or what you're doing with these sacrifices, then that's the point where it's not worth it. It's not worth it if you get lost? Well, you feel lost? Um, if you're lost, do you always not have... Do you always not know where you're going? I don't or can know. I, or can I be lost and have a goal? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Some of the greatest things in history or some of the greatest things in people's lives happen by accident. Columbus, Kafka. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, yeah. That's a double-edged sword. But yeah, you're saying things happen by accident could be when you are lost or not focused. Wait, another thing is if you have a goal, and we're talking about sacrifices, I don't know much. Um, We talk about sacrifices and goals. The more you give to get to a spot, with time you realize that may have not been where you want it to be. Wait, I can relate to that. What do you mean? Well, I don't know if I can really... Okay, because, like, I feel like what he just said, I may, you might not be where you want to be, like, where you think you want to be, because, like, at the beginning of high school, I saw myself, like, senior year, like, already knowing what where I'm going right after, but... You've already this, changed. Yeah, at this point in time, like, that's not even accurate anymore. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's more like... Where you want to be is not always where you need to be, right? Yeah. There was more to this discussion about this and other things, but let's leave it there for now. You've been listening to The Real Word Podcast, produced by Reading Opens Minds and edited by Saul Black. You can find us on iTunes or the podcast app on your phone or on the web at lareviewofbooks.org slash the-real-word. Thank you to the LA Review of Books staff and supporters for giving this podcast a home and some tender loving care. For more information about Reading Opens Minds, go to readingopensminds.org. There you can subscribe to our newsletter and see what else we're up to. Special thanks for this episode goes to Stacy Reeder and Mercedes Vasquez for co-facilitating the book club. Next episode, we'll be talking about the book, The Tattooed Soldier by Hector Tobar. I'm Lauren, and until then, happy reading.